Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Marvel Mondays on From My Point of View. I have to apologize because I don't know where I got this from. I think I just manifested it in my own head. Um, but the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is not 10 episodes, unfortunately. I thought it was going to be longer than WandaVision. Uh, maybe those were like rumors I was reading before it premiered. Um, but it's only six episodes. So it's shorter than WandaVision. And that means this episode, episode five, is the penultimate episode of the series. And uh, this upcoming Friday is the series finale. And then we're going to have a a, pro, uh, what, a month, two months, I guess, technically, if uh, Friday's like the 20-something, right? It's like the 26th or something like that, or the 22nd. Um, I can't really count days. Oh, my God. What's today? The 19th? All right, so Friday's the 23rd. Um, and then I think Loki premieres sometime in mid-June, I'm pretty sure. It's definitely in June, but I'm pretty sure it's mid-June. So we'll have a decent amount of off time, which obviously is totally fine. Um, Loki premieres June 11th, by the way. So we'll have that. And then I think Black Widow comes out in July. Or maybe that's oh, also June. It's a month after. So it's July 9th. Uh, so Loki, June 11th. Black Widow, uh, July 9th. And I'll cover the, both of those on the podcast. We'll bring back Marvel Mondays to do the Loki series. And then the Black Widow movie will either... I'll either attach it to a Marvel Mondays episode. Like at the end of a, of a Loki episode. Assuming that... That's still running by then, which will, it'll be a month, um, which should make sense because if it's like even the same length as the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's going to run about a month. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, those are like future plans, whatever. As for right now, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode five deals with the fall. It's a, it's a classic setup to the series finale. Deals with the fallout from the last episode and then... Kind of sets everything up for what's going down in the series finale. So we start the episode where we left off in episode four. John Walker is running away from the scene of his crime. He finds himself in like some old abandoned warehouse, whatever. Bucky and Sam track him down and they try to reason with him. Clearly that doesn't work. Um, he is going bonkers. And this fight between Sam and Bucky against John Walker is pretty much it's it's pretty much a mirror image of what was happening with uh Steve Bucky versus Tony in the end of Civil War and it's like that two-on-one fight except now uh Bucky's just like a completely different person and it was uh it was really cool you see so I actually noticed this. I was pretty proud of myself because I don't really use uh, notice these kinds of things when I'm watching the show. But I noticed that when during that fight, they kept playing the same kind of music that they did from Civil War in that Cap uh, Bucky versus Iron Man fight. It was the same music and uh, just slowed down a bit, I think. But I was actually pretty proud of myself that I, I noticed that. Um, but really good, uh, good fight scene. Um, it, again, it pisses me off how well John Walker uses the shield, but 
Bucky has his moment to shine. He never really lets loose, which is really, like, unfortunate. They nerfed him a lot, definitely. But it's for, you know, character development because he now has, like, a conscience. He's not just, like, a killing machine. So, clearly, he's not going to be as ruthless as he was when he was the Winter Soldier. They end up knocking out John Walker after breaking his arm, ripping the shield off of it. Um, and it, like, snaps back and you hear the bones crunch. It was, ugh. Really kind of gross, but it uh, was cool. So they were able to get the shield off of him and then knock him out. And Bucky drops the the shield next to Sam and walks away with Sam barely, like, he, he can barely stand up. He got the shit kicked out of him. And then John Walker's unconscious. So then after this fight is concluded, we get John Walker. Uh, essentially, I don't know what... This group is, it's some type of, like, military hearing, maybe, like, uh, what's it called? The GR, uh, GRC? The Global something conference? I don't know. It, it's that government agency that's trying to uh, put people back where they came from before the blip. Um, the, the people that Carly Morgenthau hates and the Flag Smashers hate because they're trying to kick everyone out out of, out of like these homes that they made for themselves over the past five years. Uh, it could be something like that, military thing, but it's not like a... doesn't seem like a normal government kind of hearing. Um, very small crowd, but basically these dudes say, you're not Captain America anymore, and the only reason why we aren't going to throw your ass in jail is because of your exemplary service in the past. He says, all right, whatever, like, screw you. He walks out while these dudes are still talking. Um, and then him and his wife are sitting in the hallway where they're confronted by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is making a cameo appearance as Contessa Valentina Allegra de la Fontaine, who I have no idea who this is. And apparently she is a lesser-known S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who... Uh, allegedly takes up a role as a character called Madam Hydra for a short bit, but that turned out to be like an undercover mission, whatever. So not completely sure what their stick is with her. Maybe they're going to try and build her up more of like a Maria Hill kind of character. No idea what she's about, but basically uh, she talks to John Walker, says it's okay that he took the serum and it was the right move and he kind of looks at her in shock. So... Apparently, no one else, none of these military guys know that John Walker took the super soldier serum that Carly had. And I'm not entirely sure if they know the rest of it is destroyed. Um, however, she also reveals to him that not only does she know she took the super soldier serum, she knows he doesn't have the shield. And, oh, by the way, the government doesn't actually own the shield. It is like, she describes it as a legal gray area, but they act as if they own it because of the U.S. government. So it's going to be like, yeah, you're going to tell us we're wrong. Not really. Um, but apparently it does not actually belong to them. I'm not sure what the legality of that is in the MCU about who technically has ownership over the shield. If it's like a government thing, clearly it's not. Or if it's like just finders, keepers, losers, weepers scenario, you know? 
Um, but she does say because Walker took the super soldier serum, that makes him very valuable to very certain people. Ends up giving him a blank business card, very mysterious, and then she's gone. So not sure if she'll return if she will return in series finale or uh it'll be just some type of last minute um like hey this is what she's actually about towards the end of the season and it'll build up to something bigger who knows and who knows how what John Walker gets out of the season finale where he ends up whatever he's kind of up in the air right now all we saw was the end credit scene is um, him building, which is also reminiscent of the Iron Man scene when with Tony in the cave in the first Iron Man movie, him pounding away at the hammer with the metal and creating, like Tony did create his own Iron Man uh, armor. John Walker is creating a shield. He uses his Medal of Honor, I think, um, to meld some of the pieces together, incorporate it in his shield somehow. And I think there's a trailer out. We also see him walking down the street in his Captain America uniform and his makeshift shield. He had said several times in the in the show that he is Captain America. He says it to Sam right before he tries to kill him the same way he killed Nico by bashing the shield into him. Bucky interrupts that. And then he says it to this in front of this congressional hearing, I am Captain America. And they're like, not anymore, you aren't. <laughs> so bye. Um, but Walker is clearly unhinged. Um, after all of this, I think the only other scene he's in is he goes to Lamar Hoskins, Hopkins, Hoskins, Lamar's family and tells them that the guy he killed on the news that was recorded and probably went viral in the, in the video that they probably saw was the guy that killed Lamar, which is a lie. Carly killed Lamar. She's the one who punched him. However, uh, he's lying to cover up the fact that he says, like, I would never let the man who killed Lamar get away. So he's trying to bring comfort to this family. Uh, he says if they ever need him, call him. Like, he'll be there. Uh, so we do get, like, a nice, sad, but, you know, hum uh human-like moment because so far we've seen nothing but regression in John Walker's character. He goes from like this nice upstanding guy, soldier, decorated uh, soldier, war hero. Um, Lamar even says he's always making the right decision in the heat of battle, high-pressure situations. He's very rational. He's very smart. And ever since he's becoming Captain America, he is just completely unraveled as a person his morals has have grayed and now he's like completely unhinged but this was like a, a moment where we snapped back to the fact that uh like this is a guy who was his best friend and this is a family who he's trying to bring comfort to and saying that the reason why I killed this guy is because he's the one who killed Lamar which isn't necessarily true but I understand the lie obviously and then from there that point on I don't think we see him for the rest of the episode it's more of a Sam and Bucky bonding in uh, Louisiana, fixing up Sam's parents' boat. Um, and it, it's a nice bonding sequence. We get a couple of montages, uh, them rebuilding the boat, Sam working out. And let's uh, let's get all into that right now. So Sam 
after he gets the shield back, when Bucky gives it to him at the end of the fight in the beginning of the episode, Sam goes back to revisit Isaiah Bradley. And Isaiah Bradley is black Captain America, essentially. Um, I forget his name from the comics, but he... There, throughout this show, there have been like racial themes and undertones and uh, like microaggressions and other stuff like that shown throughout the show. And we've seen that and we saw it the first time they came to visit Isaiah and we see it now again, except this time it's not so subtle. I mean, Isaiah Bradley comes out and says no self-respecting black man would wield that shield because they know what it means uh, or because they should know what it means to be black in America and, you know, America would never have a black Captain America. And it, it's really, it's really sad. And he goes into more detail about why he was locked up for 30 years. And it's essentially the same exact scenario as Steve Rogers. So back in the first Captain America movie, Steve gets the serum and all that. And he's kind of being held on a leash by his military uh, upper, up, upper class generals and stuff and when he go and then all his buddies Bucky included get captured the howling commandos they all get captured and Steve pretty much goes out by himself no backup and brings all of them home brings them back to base camp and he's hailed as a hero and essentially what happens with Isaiah is that first he explains that him and his whole squad his unit we're given different strands of the super soldier serum. So I don't know if this necessarily means that Isaiah Bradley was a full-fledged super soldier or like a half super soldier and not as uh, pure, I guess, as Steve Rogers' serum was. But it worked on him and he talks about how it didn't affect everyone else the same way. But basically, all of his squad get captured, all the other guys who were experimented with, and he heard uh, his commanding officers talking about how they want to bomb the POW camp because they would rather not have that evidence in the hands of the enemy, these experimental super soldiers. So he breaks out of his, like, um, internments, whatever it is, camp that they're being held in because it doesn't sound like he was there willingly. So he breaks out of there and brings all of those guys back alive. And... Inevitably, they all end up dying anyway. He's the only one who survives. And then they throw him in jail for, I, I would assume, disobeying orders for 30 years where he was poked and prodded and experimented on. And the only reason why he got out is because there was a nurse there who we're not sure who it is. Never, no name was given. Um, but she falsified records uh, to make it seem like he had died just like the rest of the experimental subjects. And then he was declared dead. It, the logistics of how he got out even after he was declared dead were not specified, but he was able to get out of prison and essentially has been living uh, the rest of his life up until now as a guy who everyone thinks is dead. And Sam says, you know, I got connections. I can help you out. And he says, no, honestly, like how long do, it, it would be less than a day if you came out and announced that I existed. I would be dead in less than a day. And uh, this is really like a, a really heavy conversation about some real world like prejudices 
and racism against black people in America and the way that they have been used. Like there's a whole uh, thing about black test subjects in America. I think it was something about um, they were told uh, it was a bunch of uh, a large population of black people saying they've been they were giving uh, vaccines for syphilis and it was actually just placebos and then like so many of them died off. It's really, really, really bad. Like, obviously, shit like this goes back hundreds of years. And yeah, uh, so what I was talking about is the Tuskegee syphilis study, which um, apparently was conducted between 1932 and 1972 in Alabama by the the public health service and the CDC. And the purpose of this study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis. Um... And so many people died. It is obviously well known here. The Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male was an ethically abusive study conducted between 1932 and 1972. That's like the overview uh, passage on on just like Google. So it's like you can go read about that. Obviously, it's super (laughs) fucked up. But um, yeah, that, that like the whole experiment again with like the super soldier and everything like this is just a comic book twisted story of of like shit that happens to to black people in America all the time wrongfully incarcerated for shit like getting your basic human rights stripped away for this for the sake of not for the sake of but for the the quote-unquote reasoning of like the greater good because like all these people died from syphilis because they were given placebos because white guys wanted to study how untreated syphilis happened in like black males it's all it's all messed up stuff uh but clearly isaiah bradley is talking to sam about what it's like to be treated as a black man in america and sam is saying like i don't necessarily agree but because sam says he's like i can't really relate that to what you're telling me Um, but at the end of their conversation, uh, Bucky and Sam rehash this whole thing again. Um, and it made Sam question what it would be like to have a black guy wield Captain America's shield. And he didn't, cause he clearly didn't think it was that big of a deal. It was just more about the person, not really the color of their skin. And now Isaiah is kind of making him rethink all of that about being a black Captain America in America. And Bucky said that him and Steve didn't really think about what that would mean either when they were deciding who to give the shield to. So clearly him and Steve had a prior conversation privately about, uh, I mean, I'm sure Steve pulled him aside and was like, hey, Buck, listen, I love you, pal, but I'm going to give this shield to Sam. And Bucky was like, yep, that makes sense. Like, I assume more or less that's how that conversation went, you know? But Bucky... um, does apologize for, like, obviously him and Steve had no idea. They weren't taking into account Sam being black as anything that would be an issue, and Bucky apologizes for that uh, later on when they're, you know, talking about uh, why they picked Sam and, and Sam being the right fit for the job, and this is after Sam's training montage. We'll get to that, but before all that, um, so we got 
John Walker getting ousted as Captain America, Sam going to visit Isaiah Bradley and talking about what it would be like to be a black Captain America. And for Bucky, he catches up with Zemo back at the Sokovia Memorial, which I think it was a couple episodes ago, maybe episode three. Zemo asks, have they, have you guys visited the Sokovia Memorial? And they were just silent. And he was like, of course not. Why would you? So Bucky remembers that and he knows where to find Zemo. He goes over there and, and Zemo tries to convince Bucky, pretty much says, you know what needs to be done. Carly will not stop until she has her way. She's been radicalized beyond saving. You have to kill her. You have to stop her. And instead, Bucky kind of shifts gears a little bit and he has a gun with him. Cox's gun pointed at Zemo and he pulls the trigger only to find out it's empty, which is to Zemo's surprise. He thought Bucky was going to kill him. And then Bucky drops all the bullets that were supposed to be in the gun in front of Zemo's feet. And Zemo looks pretty impressed. He's like, wow, you know, like it kind of looks like he has the expression like, oh, good on you, Bucky. Good, good on you, James. I like how he calls him James, too, by the way. Um, he's like, good for you, James, you know. He didn't actually say it, but the look says it all. And the Dora Milaje show up, and they place Zemo under arrest. And Ayo says that uh, he will be taken to the barge. The raft, that's what it is, the raft. Uh, which is that super high security uh, prison that is out in the middle of the ocean, hence the name The Raft, that, uh, like, Sam, Ant-Man, all those guys after Civil War, Hawkeye, all those guys that were in Civil War on Captain America's side were placed in by the U.S. government. Uh, so that's where Zemo is going to be locked up. Io has a conversation with Bucky saying, you know, he did the right thing and... But unfortunately, she's like, you should probably make yourself scarce from Wakanda for a while, White Wolf. And he says, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Understood. And they kind of give like a smile as Io walks off with the rest of Dormelage and Zemo in handcuffs. So it looks like Bucky and the Wakandans are back on good terms because Io does call him the White Wolf. And if you remember back in that fight scene in Zemo's apartment, um... She calls him James, which she, that's the only time she calls him James. I believe the other few times that they meet in the alleyway and at this Sokovia Memorial, she ends up calling him White Wolf, which I believe would mean that they're on good terms, but that Wakanda just needs a little bit of like a, of a break from Bucky because he did still like step on their toes by using Zemo as a means to the ends, even though he did end up handing them over to the Dormelage as a sign of good faith. Um, but right before they leave, Bucky asks for another favor, and we find out what that is later. It is uh, just a brief... Well, actually, technically, we don't. We can only infer. Uh, but it's a giant briefcase. Bucky gives it to Sam. He says, a gift from the Wakandan people, and uh, with the Wakandans. And at the end of the episode, Sam opens it up and it's kind of like a uh, Pulp Fiction moment where he's just staring to the suitcase and we don't know what it is. Best guess, probably anyone could have, is that it's a pair of vibranium wings because during that fight with John Walker, 
Uh, Walker does rip off uh, Sam's Falcon wingsuit. He rips them, both of them clean off the jetpack. And then Sam actually ends up giving them to Torres, which he could fix up and become a Falcon, take up the uh, the mantle of the Falcon when Sam becomes Captain America. Because that's what happens in the comics. So now he has a... And he, he was looking to mess with Sam's gadget, if you remember back in episode one, and Sam said, no, don't touch it. Ever since I got here, you guys have been messing it up. So he is curious about the technology. He might make, he might take that, fix it all up, make it you know his own, and become the Falcon when Sam gets his new set of vibranium wings, I assume, and the shield. Who knows if they're like red, white, and blue colors like in the comics. Stealthing, stealth, stealth shit would be kind of dope, um, but I assume they would be some type of Red, white, and blue. Uh, but it it most likely is vi- vibranium wings. And then we got Sam and Bucky meeting up again. Uh, Bucky comes down to Louisiana. And there's a whole a lot of montages in this. There's a montage of them fixing up the boat. There's a montage of Sam training. Um, which, actually, I think those are the only two montages. But they lasted a, a decent amount of screen time. Um, and we see Sam training with the shield and he gets progressively better at it. Cause you have to remember Sam's not a super soldier. Not that this affects how the shield is used. Uh, Cause the shield actually isn't heavy. There are several instances of non super soldiers in the Avengers throwing the shield around black widow and Hawkeye. I believe both have tossed the shield with, pretty casually like effort you know it's not a super you think because it's metal it'd be super heavy but apparently that's one of the um characteristics of vibranium is that it's very lightweight but obviously incredibly durable so the shield is not super heavy so sam tossing the shield as hard as he is against these targets and then catching it again is not like completely it's not like unusual you know just because he's a super soldier it's not like he should be he shouldn't be able to do that he can as a regular human being it's just obviously if you're a super soldier uh you're gonna be able to throw that shield through cement walls like john walker has like uh like steve has um sam's not gonna be able to do that but he should very easily be able to throw it with enough force to hit someone and like knock them out cold you know so he's training, he's uh, learning to grab it better onto his uh, the forearm where it comes back to him. And we see this with him and Bucky talking um, about having Sam get the shield back and that whole conversation. Bucky's casually, you know, tossing it and catching it. And Sam's kind of recoiling a little bit more so, way more so than Bucky is because he's not used to it. And it's like... Becoming an extension of yourself, like how Sam is very adept at using the Falcon wings, and he's able to incorporate it in combat to uh, put more weight behind his punches. We see him use the jetpack all the time when he goes to kick people, and they go flying because he's using that to propel himself forward and to have a better kick, have better punches, avoid stuff. We see in the fight with John Walker, he's able to hold his own because he is very adept at using his technology. The shield is the same way. And once that shield essentially becomes an extension of you, he's going to be way more lethal with it. I mean, obviously not lethal as in killing, but way more efficient with using the shield. And 
probably getting a new set of Falcon wings. So you use those, use those together. That's awesome. Obviously, Sam isn't uh, training with the Falcon wings right now. He's just doing boots to the ground type shit. Um, but he becomes very adept at using it by the time this montage is over. And they leave Sam and Bucky off pretty much saying like, we're not a team. We're not partners. We're co-workers. Two guys kind of just like doing a thing together to save the world or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That, that works out good. That works out good. So their friendship in this episode blossoms. Bucky comes to make amends with himself and with, with Zemo, who is probably one of the biggest names on this list. He makes up with the Wakandans. And then he has some nice, good old uh, Southern hospitality family bonding with Sam. And they leave off tighter than they ever been, probably, I would assume. <laughs> and then uh, we find out what the Flag Smashers is up to. So somehow, some way, the Flag Smashers and Carly got into the States. They got into New York City. And Torres actually relays that they got like this ping that they've been tracking. Uh, and it popped up in New York that morning. He tells Sam. Sam says, okay. So now they all know that this Flag Smashers are in New York. And they're there to stop a bill being passed by the GRC that would immediately call for uh, the, I guess, exile of people who are not where they're supposed to be. And, like, this is what Carly and all of them are pretty much fighting against. So they're trying to put a stop to this vote. They assemble a bunch of people in, like, knockoff Central Park, whatever it is. I don't know. It's some park. And uh, they they did that thing in the beginning where Torres, where we first introduced to the Flag Smashers, Torres was a part of it. And it's like a bunch of people come together. They put their masks on. Then they essentially become part of the Flag Smashers just in, by, like, in passing to help them because they believe in their message. So they get all of that. And these guys uh, pretty much lock down this GRC voting room and nothing there's nothing they can do so everyone starts like panicking whatever um and i believe that's how it ends uh they're locked up and the big climactic battle of course between sam and bucky possibly torres we don't know if he comes back shows up last minute to save the day and like the falcon suit whatever um so sam and bucky against Carly and the Flag Smashers. The big climactic battle is set up right now to happen in New York. Because of course it is. Why wouldn't an anti why wouldn't a climactic battle happen in New York City, right? It always has to happen in New York. Always. So that's where we're left off in this episode. Um things It sucks you know, in a little bit cuz I get this feeling so with WandaVision there was this whole built up story the characters were really great and then the it, it kind of ended with two what I felt like were unnecessary battles the vision battle was great because then like they fight for a little bit but then they come to reason and I think that's a great part of his character and it's very like on brand but the the witch fight between Wanda and Agatha was like I felt like it was unnecessary you didn't need this big you know Pound for pound, blow for blow kind of witch battle between these two. I didn't really like it. Um, couldn't sit here and tell you what I rather would have had. But if you could avoid the big climactic fights, okay. Like, I would prefer that, honestly. And now, 
yes, this show has been way more action-packed, and obviously they're all soldiers. I, I said this last week. You're going to have action. You're going to have, like, blood. You're going to have violence because all these these guys are soldiers. They're boots-to-the-ground soldiers. Um, and now they're hopped up. Like, everyone's a super, so... The only way, seemingly, to end this is that there would be a big climactic fight. And that's why in this episode, episode 5, we got the opening fight scene with Walker, Bucky, and Sam. And then the rest of the the show was, like, wrapping up uh, storylines and setting things up for how the show was going to end. There was no other battles or anything like that. You had John Walker meeting um, Val, who she says not to call her Val, but think Val. Whatever. Uh, De La Fontaine, what a mouthful. Um, you have him meeting her, getting strip titled Captain America, and then the end credits scene, him building his shield uh, to probably meet up with everyone in New York. Sam and Bucky have bond, or uh, Sam meets up with Isaiah and then has bonding with Bucky. Bucky meets up with Zemo, gets him arrested, then has bonding with Sam. And then the Flag Smashers are just kind of like there and set up the what probably will be a fight the entire episode. Um, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. We'll see how the episode ends off, but for now it feels like that's where everything's leading to because they more or less, it felt like they wrapped up a lot of these characters and now there's going to be a big climactic fight and then the fallout of that is just going to be like, okay, well he ends up here, he ends up here, he ends up here and he, and she, or he ends up here. Like all these characters are just going to be like, okay. The fighting's over. This is where everyone stands. Uh, see you in, like, the next movie, you know? But so far, I mean, I have loved the show, obviously. it. I, I thought it's I, it's been incredibly entertaining. Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan are fantastic. Both of their characters are getting much-needed um, backstory, especially Sam. Bucky is probably the least fleshed out. Uh, I thought Zemo benefited tremendously from this show. He might have been my favorite part of it. Sam is a clo- tied for first, if not a close second. Like What they did with Sam Wilson as a character is awesome. Like It, it, it was really... He went from being the punchline of a joke to getting like his ass kicked by Ant-Man to being like a legitimate threat and a force and... Really, like, making it, making him a great successor to Captain America. Like, I I am fully on board now with Sam. I never was, like, against it, but it was kind of like, ugh. Like, they're giving it to Sam? Give it to, like, my first thought, honestly, was, like, give it to Bucky. But, um, like, this show clearly shows you, like, it, it demonstrates why Steve, I love how it does that so in great detail, why Steve chose Sam and not Bucky. And even Bucky agrees with it. He knows he can't beat Captain America. So it, it, they just did a phenomenal job with his character, like truthfully. It, it, it's so refreshing to see him get a backstory, get like more motivations, show out his character and what he's about in full force in this show. Um, Both like ideology-wise and like, physically what he can do in, like, combat, you know, I feel like we, we've seen him so much more in, uh, in this show than anything else, because I, I feel like in, in past, uh, 
iterations where he's been in like movies or whatever, he's kind of like the scout guy. You know, he flies around, he targets people, and then like Cap and uh, Natasha, Black Widow, like storm and they, they take out hand-to-hand combat or like Thor shows up or Hulk, whatever, Iron Man. Like in Avengers movies, he was more of like the scout. You never saw him really let loose and contribute to like a hand-to-hand combat scenario because Captain America was always there. So why would he need to do that? Um, and they actually addressed that early in the show too. Like he doesn't want to just be like, like John Walker calls him, you know, it would love, I would love for Captain America's sidekick to be on my team. And that's when Sam's like, all right, well now you lost me. Cause he wasn't just Cap's sidekick, even though to me, when I watched the movies, like Falcon was like an okay character. And I mean, that's not Anthony Mackie's fault. That's not the writer's fault. It wasn't his story. This is his story. And it fleshes him out so much. And I really, really, really love it. And Zemo, too. Uh, I mentioned it last week. Zemo, I did not think, was like a great character in Civil War. Um, but in, in this show, he feels more like a like an anti-hero than a, just a straight-up villain. Because he's not doing anything that's like crazy, like villainous. He has his motives which are like in this show specifically super soldiers need to be exterminated and like more or less that's not a terrible like it's not like he wants to take over the world or you know destroy everything right he the in civil war he wanted revenge against the avengers and in this one he just wants to eradicate the super soldier serum and kill the super soldiers like yes he killed the scientist but Okay, that was kind of villainous, but I mean, anti-heroes kill people all the time, right? And then he crushes all the serum, which he could have like killed Carly instead and then crushed the serum. He, he, he didn't care about like killing Carly as much as he cared about destroying the rest of the super soldier serum. I just, I just thought Zemo was like, he was very calculating. He was very manipulative and you can call him villain, villain for sure. But I think he, he's not like a, like a true like, full-out bad guy villain. He's, I think he leans more anti-hero because he has, like, not crazy take-over-the-world kind of goals. They're very, like, reachable goals. It's just that, you know, he has, he does, he does, he kills people on his way to that goal, which is not, obviously, great for the whole hero aspect, which is why he's an anti-hero. Um, you can agree with me, not, doesn't really matter either way. Uh, what everyone I think can agree on is that Zemo was a great, uh, a great reprised role in this series. We'll have to see how everything uh, shapes out and where they leave all of our characters, uh, villains and heroes in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier this Friday season finale, series finale, because there's probably not going to be the second season of any of these shows um so we'll see where we leave them off moving into the future of phase four very excited to talk about that next monday but for now thank you all for listening to another episode of marvel mondays on from my point of view we'll be back on wednesday for the regularly scheduled podcast so i hope you enjoyed this episode and i'll talk to you guys then